Well, as Christians, we view God's Word as the ultimate authority. But why? You know, most today, including a whole lot of people in the church, don't have an even basic understanding of exactly how the Bible came to be. Uh, how was it originally written? How was it copied? Who decided what was going to be included and what would be left out? So today we're taking the show to dive into the most important origin story of all time, the Bible. God never guaranteed us that if we tell people about how complex DNA is, that that's going to win them over. But he does guarantee us in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will never return void. It will always accomplish what he wants. You are living right now in what I think will become to be known as the great divide where churches are deciding, am I really going to stand on the authority of scripture? Is it the Bible says or not? Is it something else? And what is that something else? And the one thing I agree with Andy Stanley said is the Bible is not a book. And in a sense, it's not. It is a collection of books, historical writings, and these authors confirm each other. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey, uh, partners, welcome. Uh, great to see you guys on here. Man, I, I am loving these conversations, and today is certainly going to be an important one. Uh, I want to I want to take just a second, partners. I want to just take a second and update you, uh, as well as hey, if you're if you're not joining me live and you're a partner that watches this show, you know, and you can't join us at noon on Wednesdays, let me give you guys a quick update about something that I, I just I looked up a stat and I was like that that just kind of blows my mind. Okay, I'm blown away by what what we are accomplishing together. Did you know that in the last thirty days, just in the last thirty days, we Creation Today and the Partners have taken the truths of God's Word and reached people with the truth of God's Word in the following countries. United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Australia, India, South Africa, Philippines, Germany, Indonesia. This is in the last 30 days. Nigeria, Malaysia, Brazil, Mexico, New Zealand, Netherlands, Sweden, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Ireland, Argentina, Italy, United, United Arab Emirates, Emirates, um, France, Spain, Poland, Thailand, Bangladesh, Chile, Vietnam, Denmark, Egypt, Greece, Norway, Kenya, Russia, Singapore, Israel, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Finland, Nepal, Morocco, Iceland, Sri Lanka, Romania, Serbia, Iraq, Turkey, Uzbekistan, Belgium, and Switzerland. Oh my goodness, guys, I am so thankful for what we are getting to accomplish together. It, it I don't know. It's amazing to me to see what a group of people can do when they come together and focus their resources on sharing the gospel with the world. Thank you. Thank you for partnering with us to take the gospel to so many people. Uh, if you're joining me from Facebook or YouTube or listening to the podcast or watching our television show, thank you guys for peeking into our little community. We're just a, a group of people being discipled through weekly conversations that grow our faith and encourage us to share the truth of God's word with the entire world. Currently, 30% of Creation Today's outreach efforts are funded by our partners. And I would love for that percentage, by the way, to be 100%. So if you want to lay up treasures in heaven with us, come on over to creationtoday.org and start your partnership right now. Hey, if, if, um, if you're 
if you're new to the Bible or old to the Bible, I'm curious, how much do you know about the Bible's origins? Where did it come from? Why do we call it our foundation, our ultimate authority? Well, my guest today is no stranger to the Creation Today show. He runs the Starting Point Project, which happens to be a really, really good name for today's conversation. And as we talk about Christians and their starting points, I can think of nobody else than Jay Seeger to have this conversation with. You can find all of his amazing resources at his website, thestartingpointproject.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome my friend and yours, Mr. Jay Seegert. Jay, welcome to the Creation Today Show, buddy. It is an honor to be on the program with you, Eric. You are amazing, and I'm, I always get fired up by just seeing your energy. So I, I'm really looking forward to this presentation. It's going to be a great time. Well, I get fired up by your ability to present. Every time I'm sitting in one of your presentations, actually, you probably know, what do I ask you at the end? I'm like, dude, can I have your PowerPoints? Can I have those slides? <laughs> you do such a good job of saying, here's the information, let me organize it, and then let me create a, a, a powerful way to present it and, and an effective way and a fun way. And I'm just, I'm always blown away. You do such a good job with your presentations and covering subject matter so clearly. It's uh, it's. It's encouraging and challenging to me because I wish I was that good. So that's my little uh, plug for Jay Seeger. The Starting Point Project, guys, you got to visit The Starting Point Project. Subscribe. He gets, uh, he'll tell you. Actually, can you take a second and just tell him about The Starting Point Project? Sure. Uh, Startingpointproject.com. We've got lots of, we got about up to maybe 34 free videos you can watch. We've got podcasts we started doing maybe 11, 12 weeks ago uh, through Apple Podcasts and and. Spotify and things like that. So that's all out there for free. We got lots of articles. Um, my main thing I do is travel around and speak, you know, up to 190 times a year around the country, been in a bunch of other countries as well. So, but a lot of free resources on our website. So just visit startingpointproject.com and we do Grand Canyon tours and a bunch of other things too as well. So, but I just have always appreciated my friendship. I, I've said it before, but when I first met you, Eric, and you you know what I'm probably gonna say, um, in the back of my mind was, what does this guy want? Because he's being so friendly and so helpful. There's got to be some catch in that the catch never came. It just, you have such a heart to help other Christians and other Christian organizations. And so, man, I just uh, really looked up to you for that. God has gifted us all in different ways and, and he's given you just boundless energy and enthusiasm. And so I like, I just like hanging around you. Well, it, the, the the feeling is mutual for to be able to glorify God together. Every time we're speaking at a conference together or any place together, I just, I enjoy it. I, I leave refreshed and lifted up. So thank you for just using your life and uh, and your family to glorify God. I just, I absolutely love that. Um, hey, I, I thought to kick today off, I, I, I thought I'd just kick it off with a nice little uh, punch to the gut, okay? Um, there's been, we're, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about its origin story. Where did it come from today? And I, I'm, I'm wanting you to teach us, but I thought, let me, let me start with a clip that I saw on a program where, where it's big right now, churches, they're asking the question, should we really start with the Bible? Is that really, should that be our starting point? And I was watching uh, Dr. James White do a program where he's talking about and discussing Andy Stanley. And he's talking about Andy Stanley's kind of view on how he's trying to help Christ, or help, help unbelievers come to the conclusion that Christianity is true. 
And he shows a clip in his critique of it. By the way, I'm encouraging everybody out there to go watch uh, uh, James's, um, Dr. White's critique of Andy Stanley. But I'm going to take just a second. I want to just show it. It's about four minutes long. So it's going to take us a second to watch it. But it's worth it to set off our conversation about the origin story of the Bible and why we would call this our ultimate authority. Listen with discernment to how Andy approaches the Bible. Check it out. In fact, adults often need a brand new starting point for faith. So what we're going to do in this series, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, is we're going to hit the restart button. We're going to hit the restart button and ask the question, what if we didn't know anything, where would we start? What if we'd never heard any of those stories, where would we start? What if we'd never read the Bible, where would we start? What if we'd never gone to church, where would we start? Where would we start if we were starting all over as adults as it relates to faith, and specifically as it relates to the Christian faith. So we're going to hit the restart button, and we're going to all start over all together. And we're going to learn some new things, and we're going to hear some challenging things. You're going to hear some things that you've heard before, but my hope is that for many of you, where there's been a gap, where you want to believe, you want to be able to reconcile the real world, your adult world with your faith, that you'll find that they are easily reconcilable. But we're going to have to approach this a little bit differently than perhaps you approached it as a child. Because starting off with faith as a child is very different than starting off with faith as an adult. Now, here's part of the problem. Part of the problem in Christianity is that when we grew up, we were taught the Bible. And that in and of itself is not a problem, but in some ways, the way we were taught the Bible is problematic. Because if you grew up in a home like I did, or a culture like I did, or a Christian tradition like I did, I heard that this was the Word of God, and I've always believed that. I've heard that it was infallible, and I've always believed that. I heard that it was inerrant, there were no mistakes. And I believe that. I heard that it was all inspired from Genesis to maps. That's the way the pastor used to say it. My one pastor that used to come to our church. From Genesis to maps, from the table of end, you know, the, ta- the con- table of contents all the way to maps. That the whole thing is inspired. And as a child, you say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and you know, Adam and Eve, and Jesus, and Noah, and Moses, and Jesus coming back. It's all equal. It's all in equal terms. But unfortunately, because the Bible was presented to us as a book, which it is not. Because it was all presented as as one holistic thing, which it is not, because we never even understood where this came from, it was a house of cards. So all someone had to do was come along and pull away a couple of the pieces, a couple of the foundational pieces, and suddenly the whole thing comes tumbling down. And so we went off to college, and we discovered that even though it was sacred, it wasn't scientific. And even though, you know, it was something to appreciate, it wasn't necessarily something that was factual. And even though there were stories in here that were inspirational, they weren't necessarily true. And then we experienced life, and there began to be more and more distance and more and more daylight between what we experienced and what we grew up believing. Even if you grew up in a home where this book, the Bible, was so revered, perhaps you never saw anybody read it, a book that you never placed anything on on the coffee table, but you never learned to read it yourself. And you went to a church where somebody opened it up week after week, and you knew that what they were saying was important, but you didn't really understand it. And then you went into an environment that didn't respect it. And suddenly, along with your childhood faith, that starting point that seemed so relevant way back then, suddenly it all went away. See, here's what I think, and here's where we're going for the next few weeks, and here's where I'm going to challenge you a bit, and here's where there may be some misunderstanding, and here's where you may be tempted to send me an email, so just hang on. The Bible says, in quotes, 
the Bible says, is not an adequate starting point or returning point for many adults. For many adults, it's not enough for me to say to you, okay, now I'm going to restart your faith. Now the Bible says, you're going to go, okay, I already did that. I already did the Bible says. I grew up with the Bible says, and I know what the Bible says. But let me tell you about my job. Let me tell you about my divorce. Let me tell you about my children. Let me tell you about my unanswered prayer. Andy, if if we're going to try to restart my faith by starting with the Bible says, the Bible teaches, not interested. So what I've come to believe and what we've come to believe and the reason we're doing this series is that the Bible says for many adults is not an adequate place to start. The Bible says is not an adequate starting point. Jay, you run the starting point project Let's dive in. Well, there's something we could spend our whole time just commenting on that video clip. It's very powerful, but it does capture people's attentions. And if you connect the dots with what he's saying, there would have to be a different starting point, something that has more authority and ultimate authority over Scripture. And that's, that's a red flag right there. And what I say, often when I'm sharing Scripture with even an atheist, they'll be quick to say, oh, I don't believe the Bible. And I say, oh, I get that. You're an atheist. You, you don't even think that God exists. You certainly don't think the Bible is a word of God. I'm still going to share with you what it says, because I want you to accurately understand the claims that it is making, because it's true whether or not you believe it. It's true whether or not your experiences tell you something different. That is our ultimate starting point as Christians, and there's power in God's Word. God never guaranteed us that if we tell people about how complex DNA is, that that's going to win them over. But he does guarantee us in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will never return void. It will always accomplish what he wants. And the way I see that happening is that when you share God's word, it will either convict and convert, which is what God wants, or it will condemn them, meaning they heard the truth, but they chose to reject it. And it's not up to us to decide you know, which decision they make, um, but it'll have an effect either way. We need to start with God's Word. Otherwise, we're saying there's a better authority out there somewhere else. So how do we understand the origin of the Bible and then the idea after we, because let, let's, I guess, is that is that the best way to go is start by tracing it back to its origins and then asking the question, how do we know it's inspired? How, how do you, how should we talk about this? Well, today we, we can start out with its origin. You know, if I was talking to a skeptic, I wouldn't go all the way back to say, you know, yeah. some of the details that we'll cover here. Christians need to understand this. I would start, you know, with a skeptic with the actual claim that it's making. And then I would be quick to tell them, I could go home and write a book tonight and make the same claim. I just can't back it up. But scripture gives us a way to back it up. So depending upon how much time we have here, we'll talk about the origin, like, okay, when did it come about? How was it written? How was it copied? We can cover that. But if we have time, we'll also talk about, you know, okay, fine, we know where, like, where it came from, but still, how do we know it's the inspired Word of God versus just another religious option out there? So you let me know when you want me to share my screen, and Please. I'll start with some... Uh, share okay. your screen. Let's, yeah, let's jump in. I think this is... this is and, and just so you guys know, watching, this is the future... Ba- well, it's been the past battle, and and Dr. Weiss says, listen, I've been beating this drum for, for decades. Like, guys, this is it. This is it. This is it. And and Ken Ham is going, guys, this is it. It's the authority of the Bible. It's the authority of the Bible. So people have been saying this, but you are living right now in what I think will become to be known as the great divide where churches are deciding, am I really going to stand on the authority of Scripture? 
is it the Bible says or not? Is it something else? And what is that something else? So uh, I think this is important. And it's important for you to have the discernment to be able to hear it when it's and, and hear which side somebody's on as they speak. So take us off. Take us away, Jay. This should be helpful for Christians. Again, just background, because these are basic questions. If I was an atheist, I'd be saying, you prove to me God exists and prove to me that the Bible's the inspired word of God. Most Christians can't address that question well at all. So we're going to start out with where the Bible come from, and then as we have time, we'll talk about how do we know it's the inspired word of God. So the origin of the Bible, to begin with, we'll start right off. Again, I'm going to try to cover two. We'll see how far we get. We'll talk about its origin, but then a little bit about the inspiration. On our website, we, we've converted everything to streaming videos. We have a five-part series on the inspiration of the Bible. First part is what you're going to see here, the origin of the Bible. The other four parts are evidences for its inspiration. So that's available for free on our website. But let's talk about the origin of the Bible. And I'm, I'm going to go fast here, but this is all, it's going to be simple and easy to grasp for you to share it with someone else. And because of my background, I got degrees in physics and engineering and did computer programming for like 12 years, I, I think very logically and kind of have to. So as I was thinking about witnessing to skeptics, I came up with this. When you're talking to them about God, there are three options. First option is that, yeah, God created everything, including us, but he has no standards. He doesn't, he doesn't really care about anything, so we can be kind to each other or we can kill each other. It doesn't matter to him. That option doesn't make sense to anyone. Even an atheist say, why would God do all this and not even care whatsoever? Second option, God created everything, including us. He has standards. He just never bothered to tell us what they are. So at some point, you're going to die, and you're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, yeah, I would have let you into heaven, except what you had to do is while you were on earth is you had to sit on a park bench for three and a half hours in the pouring rain in between a slinky and a statue of Beethoven, and then you would have gotten in. <laughs> But you'd be looking at God like, I didn't know that. And God would say, yeah, I know you didn't know that, but too bad. That's my standard. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to anyone that God would have these standards, hold us accountable, but not even tell us what those standards were. That leads us to the third and final option. He created everything. He has standards, and he told us what they are. That's what the Bible claims to be. It claims to be a message from God telling us stuff that we couldn't get from looking at dirt and DNA He's claiming he's the one who created it all. Here's why he created it. Here's what happens to it. Here's his plan. Here's what happens to us when we die. Again, I could create a book making the same claims. I just can't back it up, but the Bible gives us a way to back it up. And the one thing I agree with, with, with uh, Andy Stanley said, is the Bible is not a book. And in a sense, it's not. And the reason I bring that up very briefly is people say, well, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. Actually, you can, because it's not a book. It is a collection of books, historical writings, and these disparate authors, authors confirm each other over you know 1,600-year period, which we'll get to in a little bit. All these different authors, different times, different languages, and they confirm what's written in each other's books. So you, you can use the Bible to, to prove the Bible because it's not a singular book. So how and when was it written? How was it written? 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, most people are familiar with. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. And it goes on to say that the man of God may be perfect, meaning complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Another way of saying that is so that we could have everything we need to do everything God wants us to do. These writers are not inspired where they just kind of felt fired up and they decided to write. No, God was directing them in what they wrote, which we get from 2 Peter 1.21. 
for prophecy or scripture never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is directing them in everything they wrote. He allowed their writing styles to come out. You can kind of tell their styles, but he ensured that everything that was written was what he intended to be written. Okay, that's kind of how they penned it. When was it written? Well, the Old Testament roughly was written between 1500-400 B.C. New Testament was being penned roughly between 40 and about 180. So on a timeline, flood about, say, two and a half thousand years before Christ. And you got the Old Testament there and the New Testament. That's when they were physically writing the Bible. This is big. Okay, well, who decided what was included? Because the skeptics are big on that. Like, you exactly. got to pick it. How do I know that they got the right books? Again, if you're a skeptic, great question. Most Christians don't have a good answer. Well, that leads us to talk about the canonization. Why the 66 books of the Bible? The long answer is go read a book. And all I mean by that is there's, there's volumes of books written out, you're out there written about this particular question. So if you really want all the, in a sense, gory details, you can read up on that. And some of that would include this, the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books were established early in Jewish history, the rest as they were written, ending in about 450, 400 BC. Council of Jamnia, 90 AD, uh, officially recognized the 39 books that we have today in the Old Testament, New Testament. Athanasius of Alexandria provided us with the first official list in 367 AD. That's when they had these official lists of what was in the Old and the New Testament. And for the New Testament in particular, they had five tests that they were using. Was the book that they're looking at, this writing, was it authoritative? Was it prophetic, meaning based on the testimony of the apostle? Was it consistent with other revelation of truth? Did it demonstrate God's life-changing power? And then was it accepted and used by believers? Now, I think those are decent tests, but honestly, I think they're kind of subjective. I mean, think about it. Did it demonstrate God's life-changing power? I could totally envision someone saying, oh, this particular book, 1 Corinthians, it was awesome. It changed my life. But someone else saying, yeah, it was okay. You know, I, you know I've seen better. <laughs> well, that's pretty subjective, and it really is, which leads us to the short answer of what was included. The short answer is it was supernatural and logical. And here's what I mean by that. This is a great quote from Bruce Metzger, American Bible scholar. He said, you have to understand that the canon, meaning this group of books, was not the result of a series of contests involving church politics. The canon is a list of authoritative books more than it is an authoritative list of books. Let me repeat that. It is a list of authoritative books more than it is an authoritative list of books. The authority is in the books or the writings, not in the list. The list didn't give it its power. He goes on to say, these documents did not derive their authority by being selected. Each one was authoritative before anyone gathered them together. And that is so important. It was like, hey, you made the list. Now you're the inspired Word of God. Well, it was inspired when they were penning it from God. Just the list gave us an official documentation of which ones are inspired and which ones are not, which leads skeptics to ask or anyone to ask, what about the Apocrypha? And a lot of people say, the what? <laughs> the Apocrypha. This is a collection of 14 books written between the close of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament, again, roughly 
400 BC to 40 AD. I'm not going to go through all the lists, but these are different books that were penned between the Old and the New Testament. And the Apocrypha itself means hidden. Volume-wise, it's about the same that we have in the New Testament. It never claims divine inspiration for itself. It's not saying, yeah, this is the inspired Word of God. It was never referred to by Jesus or the apostles. It was always rejected by the Jews. It contains historical errors. There's nothing truly new added to God's truth. There's no objective evidence for divine authority like you have with the rest of Scripture. And this is really interesting. The Roman Catholic Council of Trent in 1546, key data, get back to that, they approved them as the inspired Word of God except for a couple of the books in 1546. Interesting thing happened then. A guy named Martin Luther comes along and says, hey, church, meaning the Catholic church, you know, a lot of stuff that you're teaching, I, I just don't see in Scripture because it wasn't there. But lo and behold, some of it was in the apocryphal writings, and by adding that to the inspired Word of God, they could claim support for a lot of these things that they were teaching. So it just magically got added after all those years. So in a Catholic Bible, you'll see those writings stuck in between the Old and the New Testament. <laughs> However, there's still a lot of useful commentary in there about what was going on in history when you had the 400 years of silence, when God wasn't communicating through prophets anymore before Jesus shows up. So there's historical truths in there, even though it's not the inspired Word of God. Another big question, was it copied accurately? Skeptics are big on this because they didn't have Xerox, so they weren't yeah. just like making out copies of these things back then. And everyone says, well, yeah, they basically did like the telephone game, which everyone heard of one person whisper something to someone else, and it gets whispered on down the line. By the time it gets to the end, it's completely changed. Like They might whisper, my elbow is starting to hurt a bit. By the time it gets to the end, Milo is smashing a Hershey's kiss. A fun, <laughs> fun game to play. And obviously, that's how the Bible was copied. They whispered it and all that. And so there's no way to know that what we have today was accurate. And so you ask the skeptic, tell me more about how it was copied. You seem to know a lot. What rules did they use? They don't know. They just were told by someone else. It's been distorted over time. So with limited time we have, let's take a look at some of the rules that were used for the Old Testament in particular. This is amazing. First of all, the synagogue role they're writing on had to be written in skins of clean animals prepared for the particular use in the synagogue by a Jew. They must be fastened together with strings taken from clean animals containing a certain number of columns throughout the entire codex or writing. Each column length must not span less than 48 or more than 60 lines, and the breadth must consist of 30 letters. The entire copy must be lined first, and if three words are written without a line, it'll be considered worthless and they destroy it. The ink should be black, not any other color, and has to be prepared according to a specific recipe. The source document must be perfect. What they're copying from has to be perfect to begin with, and the transcriber must not deviate, cannot deviate from it in the least. No word, even... Uh, not even a yod or a you know, portion of a word can be written from memory, described not having looked at the codex before him. So they're not looking at, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and writing that. They're not even looking at in. They're looking at I in in, which, which is in English. They were writing in Hebrew. One letter or portion at a time, back and forth and back and forth. They must have the space of a hair or thread between every consonant. They didn't have vowels in, in, in uh, Hebrew must have the space of nine consonants between every paragraph or section, must have the space of three lines between every book. The fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy, must end exactly with a line, but it's not necessary for the rest. 
copies must sit in full Jewish attire, washes entire body, not to begin to write the name of God with a pen that was freshly dipped in ink. Why? Because when you, you dip a pen, you, you touch it, it's going to blotch a little bit. They revered God's name so much, you don't do that with a freshly dipped pen, and this is cool. If they are addressed by a king while writing the name of God, the scribe must not pay any attention to him. That is a death sentence. You're writing something, the king approaches you, and you say, hold on a second, you're dead. <laughs> they revered God's name so much, they'll, they'll look at him when they're done writing God's name. Those are just a few of the laws, and then the Masoretic copyists had additional laws. They numbered verses, words, and letters of every book, calculated the middle word, middle letter of each, carried out additional numerical calculations and cross-checks, like taking the original perfect copy, counting up all the letters. That better read the same with their copy. Counting all the words better read the same. The middle word, the middle letter of the middle word. Hebrew letters had numeric values to them. They didn't use numbers. Each letter had a value. They would add up all the numbers to all the original Hebrew letters, come up with some massive number, and that better be the exact same number of the copy. So they had all these cross-checks. I actually had three interviews with the CIA to work in their cryptographic analysis division. Creepy story for some other time. But with coding and decoding messages, you can put all these things in there to verify that the message you're getting is accurate and legitimate. And lastly, Modern scribes, they have to know over 4,000 Judaic laws before they're starting to write the Torah scroll. This is how seriously they take copying this stuff. So I don't know if we need to take a break. We've got a few other things. We we do. But, But I guarantee the average kid out there who read online or heard in a YouTube video or watched a TikTok video and was like, oh, yeah, they just passed that information down from one to another. They have no idea what actually went into the copying and the I'll call it the preservation of the texts of scripture had no idea ah social media I wish you guys could join me for the next half of this conversation actually you can all you got to do is come on over to creationtoday.org so please come over to creationtoday.org and join me for the next half of this conversation as we go even deeper into this because I want to keep talking about the origin and then how do we know it's inspired? What are the what are the tests? What are the internal tests that we can do on this document, on, on these documents to find out if it's inspired by God? So hate to cut you off. Next week, I'm looking forward to a great conversation with you. Why are many churches not just accepting, but affirming the LGBT community and lifestyle? I want to have that conversation next week. Uh, it's June. It's Pride Month here in the United States. And uh, this is becoming more and more of an issue. And I've got some thoughts on it that I think will be very, very helpful to you. Join me next week uh, at noon as we talk about that. Why are many churches affirming LGBTQAI++? We'll talk about that next week. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you want to watch the rest of the show, come on over to creationtoday.org.